Hello and welcome to week five of our discussion of Rebbeinu's four kitot, Rebbeinu's four classes from the Gemara and Sota that will not get into the world to come. And we've still been spending time on late seam. This is probably our last week on late seam, on those people who don't treat the world with the proper respect and the proper care and the proper concern with achievement. We've seen many aspects of them before. Today, I just want to show a couple of shutim, a couple of response to the bring of the issue of late seam and what that reveals to us and sort of rounds out our picture of the late seam. Before I do that, I do want to start with a, a paragraph from the Kav piece, from the Kav Hayashar. First of all, because it's a work I never quote, because I don't know anything very much about it. It was written by Rav Tzvi Hirsch Kaidenover, who was born in 1655, passed away a relatively short time later, 1712. He was a, a rabbi in Frankfurt. And he wrote this book, Kavayasha, which became very, very popular. So I think it's called Kavayasha because there's 102 paragraphs in it. And that's Kav. And it was a very popular Muslim work, a very popular work of reminding us of the proper way to live life. On the issue of Motshav Leitzim Lo Yosha, which we've seen in, which is a verse in Tehillim and is a, uh, and is a Mishnah and Pirkei Avot that we were discussing, he points out that this is a michshol matsui, right? So I, I find it interesting when there are problems. They, these are human problems. They're problems that they were talking about 400 years ago, 300 year, 400 years ago. Problems we're still talking about today. So he says a person has to be very careful about it, put a lot of attention into it. And he says, When people get together as friends, it should be a gathering of Torah, Musar, or a matter of Musar. Now, Musar means not just like we tell people they're bad. Musar is we we remind ourselves of the right way to live and remind ourselves of the aspects of life we're trying to we're striving to emphasize. Vidivra or matters of fear of God, right? That's what we want our gatherings with friends to be. He says. I think that's a very powerful idea. If you think about what happens when you get together with friends. So I know different friends, different things. I just recently was invited somewhere for a Friday night dinner. We had a lovely meal. But parts of the things that stand out for me were the issues that came up. These were people who were visiting Israel for the Chagim. We're going back, and they're talking about the fact they're going to come back more often. They were talking about how one creates a uh, a productive, you know, middle-aged and elderly life. Issues of how do you live a right, good life? And Torah came up as well. So that, that I'm not saying that's always true of my social interactions. All I'm saying is that's what the Kavayasha is saying. He's saying not that you shouldn't hang out with friends, but he says all the more so, and more so you should stay away from groups of late tzanim and yoshvei krenot, sit on corners. What do they do? They're oskim midrim shel they spend their time on things that don't matter, that have no real meaning. Somebody who fears God will stay away from groups like that. In other words, he's saying that, he goes on later and says that you should make sure, first people should try to accustom ourselves. We should make it a habit of speaking about issues of Yira Usar. And Yira Usar doesn't have to mean fear in any kind of a terrifying way. It's not a dark, it doesn't have to be a dark, gloomy picture of life. It's that it's that we should be building a life in which our goals are to be living well and doing good things. And a late system, who doesn't care about that. That's the power here. I will just add, and this is something that every time I encounter it, I always find it interesting. I remember when the first time I uh, saw it, the Ramam and the parish of Mishnah, when the, Mish, the Mishnah in Avot says that we should be as careful about small mitzvot as big mitzvot, the Ram says a small mitzvah is like learning Hebrew. 
Lashon HaKodesh. And I remember being struck by, and they, later on I realized that lots of people know it, it's quoted in lots of places, but I hadn't known it, so for, it was new to me. Uh, the idea that learning to speak Hebrew well, which, by the way, is a sad thing that today used to be that Zionists were people who learned Hebrew, read Hebrew newspapers at home and things like that. And today, unfortunately, many, many people who identify with the state of Israel don't necessarily know Hebrew as well as they could. I even know people, now that I'm, thank God, living in Israel, I see many groups of Israeli society or Jewish society in Israel where the people don't speak Hebrew. The Kavayasha, who's not living in Israel, he's living in, <clears throat> excuse me, Frankfurt, Moravia, in Germany, in Bavaria, whatever he's living, is of Eliot Shagur Befiv Lashon HaKodesh. To be frequent, to have it be, to be fluent in it, and to have it, Shagur Befiv means to have it coming out of your mouth a lot, because his idea was that when you speak Hebrew, this is unfortunately no longer true today, this was one of the arguments that people had against Eliezer ben Yehuda, who did heroic work in reviving Hebrew as a, lang- a lived language, one of the complaints against him was that it was also going to debase it. Because for the Kavayosha, for example, if you got used to speaking Hebrew often, it would keep you on the proper path because anybody speaking Hebrew would remind, would inherently be reminded to live a good life. So that's the brief Kavayosha, just to remember what we're trying to avoid with our late Tanim and the value of shaping our social relationships to be ones that are focused on important, valuable issues. Now, a couple of shoot, a couple of Responsa that I think also highlight these issues for us and, and sort of be the topping on the cake on how we can make sure to avoid being in the Katlit Zanim or the Katlit Sim that Hashem doesn't, uh, that will never merit see, the, greeting the Divine Presence. In Shud Mishpatei Uziel, I've got two of them from Rev Uziel, right, the, who was the first Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel. But before that, he was the Sephardic chief rabbi of Tel Aviv Yafo, right opposite Rev Cook. He became the Sephardic chief rabbi of Palestine after Rav Cook passed away. And then when Israel turned into, when Palestine turned into Israel, thank God, he became the chief rabbi of that until he passed away. So he says, in terms of, this is talking about uh, recordings. It was a big question when when photographs came out, uh, record players, right? This is old time stuff, gramophones, right? things that you could take sound and put it on a thing and then play it on a machine and play it back. Today, you, you have uh, you know, the internet, you don't have like, you know, you have AirPods, you have this, you have that, but that. So he says, the first question was, can you be Yotze? Can you fulfill obligations by listening to that? But he says, he thinks that not only when you mention the name of God, because after all, let's say somebody records Shema, for example, and says the name of Hashem in Shema. Every time we play it back, it's an unnecessary mention of the name of Hashem. So he says, that's for sure not so great. He says, or also could be that you'll that somebody will play uh, these kinds of, of, of recordings, which might have sanctified elements to them, and play them in unclean, inappropriate places. He says more than that. He doesn't think, and we don't do this anymore, but it raises issues that I think continue to be uh, worth considering. You're listening to, to a, I hope you're listening, to a podcast, which is the kind of thing that he's saying is a problem. He says, filah, verses from prayer, Torah, words of Torah, you can't put into these kinds of machines. And he, But the, the, the source that he quotes is a source that's still relevant to think about because the Gemara says that if somebody reads a Pasuk of Shira Shirim. The Shira Shirim is because it's a song, but any songs that are ver- made out of verses from Tanakh are the same issue. The Osel took him in Zemrin, you make it into just a song. Or you sing a verse in, you know, in a in a wedding, in, so at a party, Beit Mishta'ot is like a wine party. It's like some people get together to drink and so everyone drink. Instead of singing uh, non-Jewish songs, I'll sing, I'll sing Tzukim. 
It brings bad to the world. This is what the Gemara says. Because the Torah wraps itself in sackcloth before God and says, the Master of the Universe, your children are making me like a harp that lets him play. Notice the word lets him. And so Revuziel learns from that that you can't have these psukim be done by a mechanical thing because even if it's not in a, in a wrong place, even if it doesn't have the name of God, because it treats it, that it treats the verse as just something you sing and say over and over again. I remember Rav Lichtenstein, our Rebbe, Rav Lichtenstein, complaining also about when people sing, or Rav I remember talking, talking about the fact that Rav Lichtenstein was very firm about this issue, that if people sing verses without thinking of them, about them, without being attention, without meaning them as a prayer or as, a, as an assertion of those values, that runs afoul of this Gemara. And that's another, so that's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a type of a lates. We might not have paused to notice. The lates is now singing psukim. They're singing verses. That would seem like being involved in something good. The problem is the lates treats the verses as just a song to sing. I've seen this in places where, uh, in very religious gatherings, where you, it looks like a religious gathering, but you see the people singing and, and to the song. It's not clear they know the words they're singing. It's not clear they care about the words they're singing. I think it's a really important issue that Uziel is raising based on that Gemara. I think it's a Gemara in, you know, I'm not going to get it wrong, so I'm not going to say. But based on, and I should have looked it up, I apologize. But based on that Gemara, the Torah is called Geret Sak. Torah where it puts on sackcloth, it's that, you know, there's a there's a, a, a human enjoyment in singing. And there's a human enjoyment in singing in groups. It's not bad. But if we do it for no ultimate, no real value, no real purpose, then it's just human get-together, human social. Then you could say to me, if a family does it together, even if it's in, let's say, non-Jewish songs, they're building familial relations, that is a value. Great. But that's not the value that Torah verses, the verses from Tanakh are meant to be used as. So one is, Rav Uziel pauses to remind us that turning psukim into just a song, it's not that you can't sing them. It's that we sing them because they're a song, because the tune is great. Without knowing what we're singing, without caring about the, the, the meaning of it, that becomes an act of late sanut, which fits what we've been learning until now, because it's a, it's a, 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 it's a mistaking of the important for the mundane, for the ordinary. In another tshuva, he says, when it comes to the mitzvah of tochach, there's a completely different tshuva. But, uh, the question is, how do we admonish each other when there's a mitzvah in the Torah that we should re- remonstrate with each other when we're doing wrong? So he has a whole tshuva about it, but he says it's based on a couple of basic, uh, of, of fundamental conditions. One is, we're not supposed to insult the sinner, at least at the beginning. There are times when maybe we would, but not at the beginning. Because the Torah warned, lo tzalavchet. Then he says, you have to make sure that the sinner that we're going to discuss this with, with is not a late. If he's a late shemit, look to simal They'll just make fun of the person doing the tochach, doing the remonstration. Meaning that Rebuzil is saying it's not only that the person doesn't isn't going to accept it; it's they're going to turn into a form of mockery. That's another kind of a late. A late is so far from appreciating the importance of the meaning. You know, there have been times when I've been caught speaking in shul. Somebody says to me, "Shh," right? However, they do it. Annoying sometimes, right? They do it in a bad way. But what do I know? They're right. So I say, I'm very sorry, and I stop. I hope. I usually do. Yeah. But 
if the person said that to somebody who wasn't, I know people who have done this, then the other person will say, who are you to say this to me? Or look at who thinks he's so great or something. And because they don't appreciate the value. So that's another element of our late sit. Now let's have two examples where Moshe Feist is going to teach about what a late is. So he talks about a social hall in a shul. Question is, do you have to treat it with the sanctity of a shul? There are halakos, not our topic today, but there are halakos, there are rules and laws about what one may and may not do within a shul. That's not our topic. I'm going to leave that. I have a good story about it. I'm going to leave it. Question is, does that apply to a social hall? That was the question he was asked. He says, clearly not. Right? And so therefore, clearly you can do things there that are not things you can do in a shul. You could have uh, easily, for example, you could have a wedding meal in a social hall and you have wedding dancing. But he says, to play cards like bingo or bingo, which was something that you want to do in social halls back then because there were fundraisers for shul. He says, it's not a clear prohibition because in fact, it's a social hall and it doesn't have the sanctity of the Knesset. But, uh, but, um, he says it's, it's not nice things but wherever it is and it's also an example it might be it's very similar to by which I'm pretty sure he means that yeah, you could say to me well I understand I'm going to play bingo or cards to raise money for the shul isn't that a good thing it is a good thing but we're doing it the vehicle through which we're doing it is a vehicle empty of meaning that's an interesting question. I, you know, my father, Allah Shalom, and I don't think this is anything bad about him. I think he, you know, I think he stood by it. Very much enjoyed playing cards. But I think he would tell you that part of why he enjoyed playing cards was because it sharpened one's mind and it appeared one better for understanding the world and being able to see into things, I think, but I'm, I'm not sure. So that's a uh, questions that arise. So another example of where Ramosha Feinstein, an example of where Ramosha Feinstein worried about late scene. The second example is, what about you go to a theater where you do some kind of a comedy? Or he says you go to a sports arena, right? The first question was, does that count as a problem of Again, not our topic, but there is an overall prohibition against Jews imitating non-Jews. The question is what counts as imitating, what counts, right? When I eat, that's not imitating non-Jews, I'm just eating. That's a question of its own. question was, by going to the theater, by going to a play, right? By going to a comedy club, by going to a, a basketball game, is that able to him? Is that following non-Jewish ways? Just no, it's not. Because as long as this is an overall principle of this uh, prohibition, as long as there's some valid reason for doing it, meaning valid human reason for doing it, not not necessarily not necessarily a good reason that we approve of. It doesn't have to be that it's a, I mean, we have to not disapprove, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, we think that's such a valuable thing to do. It's as long as there's a reason aside from wanting to be like the non-Jews, then that's good enough. So, um, and he gives the example of the Zara, but he says, the problem is, right, it's late sanut. It's, uh, right, it's not about Zara, but it's late sanut in the sense that you're just going around to spend, waste time, do nothing. And uh, if you go for there, you're violating, he says, you're violating the Isser of Mokshav Leitzim. Notice he assumes that he's a prohibition because the verse says that the righteous person never did go it. So he assumes there must be a, that we're learning that it's not allowed to be done. And then, and it's also Beitel Torah. It's also neglect of Torah. I've said it before, so I don't want to belabor it, but it just raises these questions of, well, what if I say, there's a couple of things I can say, and I believe all of these can be true. What if I say I go to a basketball game? I see people at the top of their field who have worked very hard to get where they are, 
I learned lessons about dedication, about hard work, about teamwork. I think all of that is true, right? Or I go to a comedy show. Some of that is true. Also, sometimes comedians have sort of insights into the human condition that I might not have noticed when they're poking fun at something. They might be bringing up a foible of the human condition that's worth my while to pay attention to. Uh, it's also true that sometimes they say things that are funny enough that you can use it in a sheer and bring people in to learn. To... There are all sorts of, I think, all sorts of valid underlying reasons to partake of these things. That Ramosha Feinstein maybe was, uh, was more um, black and white about it. The element of it that I think is un, unquestionable, what he's saying is, is that it's a matter of a, of a mountain degree. You tell me I'm going to go to a comedy show once, twice, three times a year, whatever it is, but I'm going to go to a comedy show twice a week regularly, then that's the question. What am I doing? What, what, what am I doing? Just trying to laugh, trying to find a way. Mm-hmm. Same thing with baseball, football. I wonder about these things. You know, it, what, what, at what point? Let's assume, and it's not only going to the actual stadiums, you're watching the games on TV. At what point is it? that I say this is an unacceptable uh, investment of time and it becomes an issue of late time. Hard question, but the question is to raise. Right? The point of raising hard questions, they have to be answered. It might be that I don't like your answer because I think you've chosen too harsh or too lenient an answer, but then Ravai Yosef has a brief chuva, a brief line in the chuva, I should say, about um, is that about the, the question of drinking coffee in coffee houses. Say, can, again, can you go to a, a not just making a party, friends from work, making a party, a, a coffee party, I'm talking a drinking party, a coffee and a coffee house to get it together, right? So can you go there? Um, or or it's similar, maybe it's similar to beer, and you can't go there because it'll lead to cotton, it'll lead to improper socializing. So the Revolutionist seems to think that way, which is a complication for those who live in non-Jewish countries and have relationships with non-Jews. How do, how far can that go? What can you do? What can you not do? That's all good and all an issue. But then he writes, And there's also a Moshav Leitim party. Now, I've met people in coffee houses for a meeting. Uh, there are lots of valid reasons. I'm not going to list them, but there are lots of valid reasons to meet somebody for coffee. But I, when I go there, very often these places are all full of people who are just getting together to talk. Again, there's a value in talk. There's value in building human relationships. But the question becomes, and that's what I think Ravad Yosef was reacting to. Okay, the last example from Shut, and then if we have time, maybe we'll get into a little bit of, uh, of Mesil HaSashar, which I don't generally learn or know well. But there's a beautiful tshuva response by uh, Chaim David Alevi, the longtime Sephardi who passed away in the 90s, but longtime Sephardi chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And he has a tshuva where a man writes him in and says that he went to yeshiva in his day. Now I think he works at a job, but he's a yeshiva guy. And by yeshiva guy, I'm pretty sure he means a more what we would call right-wing Haredi, one of those kinds of yeshivot. And he got married recently from a woman from an Orthodox family. He has no problem with her religiosity, but she's more modernisha. Right? He used the word, modernit. She's more modern, which expresses itself, he says, it is mostly in her desire to go to the theater, go to movies, go on walks together, and to buy nice clothing. And so he says, I tried to explain to her that, uh, you know, movies have all these terrible things in them, and the, you know, and plays have these things, and there's all sorts of prohibitions, right? There's a topic, that's another topic, not our topic, but of what, what, what is acceptable, not acceptable. I mean, if you see a G-rated movie, pretty much it's okay. So you get into PG and to R, you have hard questions. And some people will say an R-rated movie, whatever the cause of the R rating, 
it's an R-rated movie, there's almost definitely things that are in there that are inappropriate and that therefore you shouldn't watch. And um, that's not our topic today, but let's assume that's the we're going to go. I mean, anyway, that's the we're going to go with. See, so sister, you know, I can't see the movies. So she agrees. He'll only go to movies and, and plays where we know that everything's going to be fine. And there are certainly movies and plays like that even today, although it's not always easy to know and to find, but there are certainly plays and movies like that. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I feel like a while back there was a movie called Dunkirk. Pretty sure there's nothing in the movie Dunkirk. There was a concern or an issue. So, but the guy is is upset about it. He says it's hard for me to become a movie going guy. All my life I've been a yeshiva bachar. Now I'm a movie going guy, and I feel like it contradicts my whole. This is what he says. That is my whole essence, and I'm I'm positive it's prohibited. Now he's not he's not uh, he's not trying to say can I stop her. That far he's not going to go, but he's like, why can't I just tell her to go with her relatives and to tell her I didn't get married to start going to movies? That's his question of Chaim David Alevi. And Chaim David Alevi says in his answer, it's a hard question. He says, first of all, I want you to know that peace in a marriage, uh, getting along together in a marriage, being being you know well matched and friendly with each other, is so vital to have shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean lack of fighting; it means connection. It means love for each other. And he says, you're telling me that this woman has many great qualities. So let's figure out what she, what, what's wrong with her wanting to go to the theater and the, or movies. And let's see if it's so terrible that you have to destroy family peace over it, right? Which is an excellent standard to think about. We have differences. We have conflict. Sometimes we'll compromise. Or we'll work the conflict out in some ways that we're going to get to here. And that'll create peace. But sometimes you say, I can't compromise on that. Submarishan, not meaning, glad meaning. Let's say she said, I, I love having pig. I've always had pig. I want to have pig. So the compromise with people have pig once a week. No, you can't do such a thing, right? So, so he, first he says, I want you to know that when Chazal in the Gemara talk about Te'atra'ot, which I've been translating as theaters, where McGilly says, he says, back then, you have to remember that they were places where Avodah Zarah happened. They were places where worship of other powers happened. And so if and if not that, then it's a Moshat Leitzim. So the first step is he's going to say that today there's no Avodazar issue in most of these places. So therefore, you don't have to worry about that. And that's not the issue. But as a Moshat Leitzim question, the question of wasting your time and being involved in, in, in things that make it seem like there's no value or teleology to the world that might be a problem. And also leads to lack of Torah. Because we see in the verses from Tilim that spoke about Abu Shalim in that verse, the contrast was that rather he wants to study Torah. So you see that Moshalim is this place that takes away from your Talmud Torah, from your study, Torah study. But so first he said, and that's what was true back then. He said the Avodazara part, as I said, is not relevant here. Um, and we're going to start, he says, with the understanding that you're going to be very careful about what movies you see. Right? You're going to censor them carefully to know they only have appropriate stuff. And he says, I checked into it, and I found out with certainty, this is mid-90s or 80s, so it might be it's a little different or a little harder, but there. Are, but even now, there, there are movies that one can see that don't have any of these problems to them. He says, for example, there are historical movies. I've seen a bunch of movies recently. I don't remember. Maybe the, the Chicago 7 was a movie. Like, it was, I thought an excellent movie, but I finished it. And, and I was talking to, to Elizabeth, my wife, who I saw it with. And I said, uh, I said, you know, it was a great movie, but I think the story was a great story. I'm not sure the movie was so great. In any case, there are historical movies, he says, 
or biographical movies, right? Or musicals, which is interesting to watch because I don't know if all musicals today are a problem. He says musicals sometimes, but the point is that there are things that you can watch and go to. He says that for for family peace, for building a good relationship with your wife, I think you can go to these uh, to these uh, to the movies. However, he says. You're also worried that you as a ben yeshiva, people think of you as a yeshiva guy, and you don't want them knowing you go. Meaning if he's living in a neighborhood where everybody went to what we would call more right-wing yeshiva, where nobody sees movies, and all of a sudden they see him going to movies, I don't know what you're going to do about that. I remember hearing a story about Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tkursky, Alava Shalom, who I didn't know at all. But I remember hearing that he had moved. I feel like he had moved to Teaneck. He he, he he lost his first wife. He had a second marriage. And the second marriage, I feel like he moved to Teaneck or to Efrat. Somebody told me that he was somewhere in one of these more, what we might think of as modernish, modern communities. And he said something like, I like living here because I can walk in the street holding my wife's hand. So that issue of what are the social, what are the assumptions of the social circles in which you travel? If Chaim believe is... is um, is sensitive to that, and therefore he recommends that they actually drive. Now, this is in Israel, where driving to another city isn't like a huge deal, but he's saying drive somewhere else. It would be like drive to a different neighborhood, although I've been to place, plenty of places outside where outside of my neighborhood and run into people anyway. So you have to be careful about that, but that was an issue that he brought up. And therefore he says, with all of that, uh, that's what he thinks you have to do, because... Uh, because that's the way to build the peace in your marriage, and that's such an important thing, and therefore it is. So he's alert to and sensitive to the question of Moshav Leitzim. He wants the man to be sensitive to it. He says to others to come up with these kinds of entertainment, but in, but inherently the idea of entertainment that doesn't have big problems to it as a way to maintain a marriage, that Rokhaim David Levi is not opposed to. So next time we're going to start on reviewing a discussion of liars, which is a whole new, right? We're up to the second cut. We had the late see, we've, we've spent a lot of time on. Now we're going to get into what, what constitutes a lie, what's a permissible lie, what's not a permissible lie, uh, how, what makes one, a, a one of the cut shakarim. We'll get into that next time. But for this time, I just want to, I, I think we've summed it up a lot, but I want to briefly sum up the idea that when we say that one should not be part of the cut late team, I think it's overall the reminder that life matters. The world matters, time matters, and there are lots and lots of reasons to spend our time in various ways. But when we just throw away our time and we just treat the world like it's not important and we just scoff at the world and we just treat the world like there's no value to it, that's when we run the very serious risk of becoming part of the Katlet team and, God forbid, never being uh, being able to greet the divine presence. It also sort of explains why the punishment might be not greeting the divine presence, because the thing the person did was, the thing these people do are, is they treat the world as if God didn't invest it with a deep and significant purpose. And that's a problem. So the God who created the world, and the God who created the world in the hopes that people would perfect the world and improve the world, will not be willing to uh, confront and face up to and, and, and have uh, any kind of an interaction with those who treat the world as if it doesn't have meaning. So, uh, you know, I could start the Basilis Sharon, but I don't want to run over my time. I've run over my time other times. We'll stop here with the hope that we have done at least a, uh, at least a yeoman's job, at least a basic job of understanding what it needs to be a late and reminding ourselves to make sure to avoid being late, even to choose carefully uh, who we socialize with, how we socialize, 
what we do with our time, that we make sure that we use our time in ways that will uh, be productive and appropriate, and that Hashem will ratify as being a worthy contribution, and we will avoid being in the Katlet Tzib. Next time, we're going to start learning how to avoid being in the Kat Shakarim. Thank you for joining us. This has been Rabbi Yonah's Four Kitot, brought to you from the virtual Beit Midrash of Yishevat Haratzel. Thanks for joining.